Mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown! Big return for Crowder, 85 yards! Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott, it was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh! Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for the weekend mailbag. So for that, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. And for the second week in a row, since we're doing a lot of draft talk, Mr. Clayton Smarslock of Coast to Coast Scouting. So gentlemen, last week... We talk quite a bit about wide receivers. Let's continue the wide receiver theme because Michael Christopher has a bit of a soliloquy and then some questions baked into the soliloquy, which is what Michael does, and we love him for it. He says, how upset would you guys be if the Jets took a wide receiver 11? The more I think about it, I would be furious. Take a look at Andrew Luck and Deshaun Watson, just to name a few. The offensive line proved essential. You have to protect your quarterback against injuries, which the Colts finally did, but by the time they got around to it, it was too late. If you draft a wide receiver at 11, how do you solve offensive line? Because there's a possibility that seven or eight tackles could go in the first 48 picks. Thomas, Wills, Wirfs, Becton, Jones, Jackson, Cleveland, Wilson, and Niang. With all teams needing them, especially if the Giants and Chargers pass in the first round, if those players are all gone, what players do you go with in rounds two and three after going wide receiver in the first? And then what do you do as far as position group targets from there when all the tackles that you thought could have an impact pretty close to right away are off the board? That's why I'm having a hard time seeing the Jets draft a wide receiver at number 11 since the sweet spot is rounds two to four and so many teams are looking for offensive tackle. Also, Clay, what do you think? Ruggs, Judy, or Lamb? Who is the best fit for the Jets and why? Also, Clay... Ah, he wants to ask you a bunch of questions, Clay. I think Chris and I are going to sit this one out. When watching the offensive tackles, do you have Josh Jones or Austin Jackson close to the top four in your mind? If they pick Jones at number 11, would that be a huge mistake? In other words, what I'm asking you is, how wide is the gap to you between the top offensive tackles in the draft that everybody's talking about, the big four, and Josh Jones and Austin Jackson? So we'll get back to that in a second. 
first, let's address the wide receiver situation. I don't know that I would say I'd be furious, but I wouldn't be thrilled about it. I think they really have to get an offensive tackle at number 11 because this is a really awesome tackle draft at the top. And I was talking to my friend Chris Walker about this the other day. There hasn't been a very good tackle draft since 2016 when Laramie Tunsil slid and Ronnie Stanley went in the first round. Usually when you look at these drafts, you look at the tackles and you shake your head and think to yourself, ah, this is the best guy that was in the draft. If you go through, you'll see it. There haven't been a lot of really good tackle drafts in the last couple of years. This is a really strong tackle draft. This is kind of like what we were talking about with the 2018 quarterbacks, how there were a handful of quarterbacks that could be picked at the top that you envisioned as long-term starting options and perhaps much more than that. And I think that if one of those guys is available at 11, I'm with you. Got to take them. No question about it. The receiver's the flashy toy. You absolutely love the idea of CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs coming in here and lighting it up. But the reality is, if Sam Darnold is getting pounded all the time, or as you said, if it's a situation like Andrew Luck where he's getting hurt because the offensive line can't protect him, then it really doesn't matter who the wide receiver is. As far as who the best fit is for this system, I think Jerry Judy is a fit in any system, really. I think Ruggs actually would be an excellent fit because he would replace what Robbie Anderson gave you, but give you a hell of a lot more than that because he's just a much better all-around player, much better route runner, more complete receiver as well. And as Chris said before, CeeDee Lamb would be an outstanding fit for what Gase likes to do. So I actually think all three would be a really good fit. If you pressed me, it's a tough question, and I'm going to let Clayton answer this in a second, and then we'll go to Chris. I guess I would say Judy only because I think that he's a good fit in any system. He'd be a good fit in Gase's system, and he would be a good fit really with any coach that would come in after Gase if Gase isn't here after 2020. So, Clayton, what do you think? Would you be upset if the Jets went wide receiver at number 11 and on top of that, which of these three receivers do you think is the best fit for what the Jets are looking to do? Uh, I mean, it'd be hard to be upset because I do have those three receivers ranked so highly on my board. So I can't really be upset. Would I be a little disappointed if they pass on the tackle? Yes. Uh, I think that's the most important thing. You have to protect your, your prize, you know, your, your, the face of your franchise and Darnold. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be mad, but I would be a little disappointed as my parents would always say. So in terms of the best fit, I, I, I think you nailed it. I think all three of them would fit the offense. But personally, and I, I don't know if I'm just saying this because he's my top receiver or if I actually think he's the best fit, but I would go with C.D. Lange because I, I think he does fit that quick, that quick passing offense that Gates wants to run. And no, he might not be the separator that Jerry Judy is. He might not have the speed that Henry Ruggs has, but – just in case the offensive line does break down, which it inevitably will because this offensive line is still below average in terms of the whole NFL landscape. Uh, uh, Lamb, in contested situations, he, those other two guys are nothing compared to him. Like He is a DeAndre Hopkins in that sense. And you saw what Hopkins did for guys like Deshaun Watson, Tom Savage, Matt Schaub, like, and the list goes on and on. Like those like Some of those quarterbacks were terrible, but like at least he made them – like a little bit better because of what he could do in those 50-50 situations. And, they, and Lamb, it's not 50-50. It's, it can be more like 70-30 in his favor. I mean, so 
while he might not be the route runner that the other two are, I think what he does as a whole just fits so much better for the Jets, especially with a weak offensive line. Chris, I know you wouldn't be upset if they picked a receiver because you love Judy and Lamb specifically, although I'm sure you wouldn't be upset with Ruggs either. But do you think that there would be a level of disappointment for Jets fans here because of the fact that everybody's zeroed in on offensive line and everybody knows that Darnold needs an upgrade in protection? Also, you said before that you think Lamb is the best fit. Do you agree with the rationale that Clayton just gave for that? Yeah, I definitely agree uh, with what Clayton just said, everything about it. And and what you said, too, all, all three of these guys can be fits in any offense. So if you're sitting here thinking, okay, well, I don't want to get a guy just to fit in CD Lamb or in Adam Gase's offense if they do go ahead and fire him, uh, you know, in a year or so, it doesn't matter. Any of these guys are going to be able to fit uh, with uh, whatever offense. They're all really good. Um, and it's always just, you know, a pick your poison of what, what do you uh, value more in receivers? Um, like Clayton said, he's not as good of a route runner as the other guys. Uh, and he's not as fast as uh, Henry Ruggs. But he, the, the contested catches, his body control, all that stuff is, is going to separate him. And Clayton makes a great point talking about DeAndre Hopkins and the terrible receivers he had to work with because he was still putting up numbers and he was still helping them out with just absolutely horrific quarterback play and bad offensive line play too. So I 100% get and agree with the impulse that protect Darnold, protect Darnold, but a receiver like uh, C.D. Lamb could protect Darnold as well because he can afford to maybe get the ball out a little quicker and be able to rely on someone like C.D. Lamb to make some miraculous way to come up with the catch. Um, I... I'm, again, going to agree with Clayton here. I, I wouldn't say that I would be extremely upset by it. Now, here's the key, though. How much of me not being upset by this is because uh, I don't know about, you know, I think that uh, it would be an okay football move, or how much is it just because I've been obsessing over both Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb for two years now? <laughs> like, so for me personally, I'm not – there's no way I'm going to – I will, I've been – for two years, I've been clamoring to cover one of these guys in the NFL. So I, I don't think it would be the smart uh, football move for them to go ahead and do that. But I'm not going to crush them because I'm going to. I would get to cover them. Um, and as far as the fan reaction, I still, I haven't been on Twitter a lot lately, but I have I've checked in every once in a while, and I, I still feel like it's pretty close to 50-50 on fans wanting offensive line and fans wanting uh, them to go with one of these receivers here. Uh, This happens all the time, but I I think that you're going to get a split reaction from the fan base no matter what there. Um, But again, it comes down to the simple fact that the right football move is to take one of those offensive linemen. But again, I've been thirsting over these two guys for two years now. So there's no way I'm going to be able to work up the energy to criticize uh, drafting C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy. I'm just not going to be able to do it. Next question comes in from Will at Notson69. He says, is it possible that if Joe Douglas doesn't get a first-round tackle in the draft, that he goes back to the Redskins and gets a deal done for Trent Williams? Do you think this might be what the Redskins are looking to do too? 
that they're sitting back and waiting to see if a team gets more desperate after the draft, if they don't land a tackle that they like. What do you think could happen here? So here's what I'll say. I think the Redskins may very well be doing that, but I've also talked about this. I think the Redskins may actually just be looking to force Trent Williams' hand because ultimately Trent Williams is a 32-year-old player who doesn't have unlimited time left. Every day that he sits out is another day that he's not getting paid and another day that his career continues to dwindle. So you have to figure that unless he wants to not get paid for a second straight year, he may have to go in if the Redskins don't trade him. If they call his bluff, there's a good chance that he's going to have to suck it up and begrudgingly report into the Redskins. Now, if somebody blows them away with an offer that they really like, then I think they would deal him. And maybe they're thinking they'll sit back and then after the draft, if somebody makes them that kind of offer, they will deal Williams. Otherwise, they'll hang on to him. As far as the Jets... I'm sure that if the Jets don't get a tackle that they like at number 11 and they don't get somebody that they think can step in and start right away, that Joe Douglas will call and inquire again. But I don't think that he's going to budge from his initial offer because I think Joe Douglas is a guy who sets a price and that's the price that he's willing to pay and that's it. So if the Skins lower their offer, then maybe some business gets done on the Jets end. If they don't, I don't see Joe Douglas being the type of guy that gets desperate just because he didn't get one of the tackles he wanted. That's not how he operates, so I wouldn't be expecting that. So basically what I'm saying is, if after the draft, the Redskins lower their asking price, then maybe we see something happen. But I don't expect that, and I absolutely would not expect Joe Douglas to sweeten his offer to come closer to where the Redskins are right now. You think that's about right, Chris? Yeah, I just... This is the thing that I'm stuck on with Trent Williams. And I, we, I can get stuck on the draft compensation and how I don't think that uh, Joe Douglas would be willing to do that uh, to meet Washington's demands. But even hypothetically, let's say Washington does relax their demands and we're talking about John, uh, Dan Snyder here. So, all right, grain of salt, all that. Um, I, I, Joe Douglas is not – I don't see him paying Trent Williams – that money, not not right now, not as everything going on. They're clearly not looking to uh, make anything like that. I we keep talking about Trent Williams, and I, I see people all the time. Uh, just pay Trent Williams and go do the Joe Douglas is not. That's not what he's looking to do right now. It's very clear and obvious. Whatever the reason is, um, there he's not. I can't see him being willing to give Trent Williams. With all the injury concerns he's had, um, everything going on, and then give up the draft capital and then give him this huge contract. So maybe if there's some way that Trent Williams, you know, lowers his own contract to demands, but Joe Douglas, I, I think fans just need to get this out of their head right now that Trent Williams is not going to be an option for them. I just don't think he's strongly considering it at all at this point from everything I've heard. Clayton, I think we all agree that when healthy, Trent Williams is probably a top three offensive tackle in the NFL. But what Chris just said makes a lot of sense if you consider the way that Joe Douglas has been doing business since taking over as Jets general manager. The idea that he would give up premium draft assets and be willing to spend the kind of money that Trent Williams is looking for, even if Trent Williams isn't looking for $20 million 
And like Jadavian Clowney has relaxed his asking price to say 16, 17 million. That's a combination that I just don't see happening, especially with a player as good as Trent Williams is, who is hurt a lot and who is 32 years old. Yeah. And, and think of it this way, too. Like Joe Douglas, when he got hired, he signed a six year deal. He's not in any rush. He, yep. he is not being rushed to make a big move right away. Like it's, This isn't a one-year fix for him. He's doing this for the long term. So while, yes, I would, I, I would trade for Trent Williams at the right price. I'm not going to go overboard. I would trade for him just because of how good he can be and how good he's shown to be. But I understand not making the move because of that reason I just laid out. And then also, I'm not even just the Jets, but I don't – I don't know if any team is going to trade for a player on draft day because of these unique situations going on with the whole virus. I mean, you, you can't you can't get medicals on these guys. It's going to be weeks before you can even get a physical on Trent Williams if you decide to trade for him. And is it going to be worth that capital if he is hurt? Like you don't you don't really know what's going to happen at that point. So I don't see Trent Williams being traded for on draft day, I think if he's going to get traded, it's going to be in the next week or so. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Joe Jet Five. He says, "Have the Jets done enough to address run blocking this offseason? 
there appears to be a disparity between run and pass blocking. Well, yeah, the reason it appears to be a disparity is because there's a huge disparity. I don't think they've done much, if anything, to address the run blocking. I think the run blocking is going to be just as bad, if not worse, than it was last year, depending on what other moves get made in the draft. This is not looking good for Le'Veon Bell. I would say that a smart coach would use Le'Veon Bell a lot more in the passing attack, spread him out wide as a wide receiver, exploit mismatches. But we already know that Adam Gase isn't going to do that. So I suspect that the Jets are probably going to have a lot of problems running the ball. They already have planned for this. I don't think that Gase cares that much if you look at the construction of the line. And we're going to be saying the same thing that we said about Le'Veon Bell last year, complaining the same way that we complained last year. Le'Veon Bell will then get cut and he'll go elsewhere. We'll see if he's able to resurrect his career after this mess. Safe to say, I'm sure Le'Veon Bell wishes that he would have taken that last second offer from the 49ers at this point instead of coming to the Jets. But... I'm with you, Joe. I don't think they did nearly enough. In fact, I don't think they did anything to help the run blocking, and I expect the Jets to be one of the weaker running teams in the league again this year. Would you say that's a fair assessment, Clayton? Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. You spend all this money on a Le'Veon Bell, and you're not doing anything to help him. Uh, but I do understand you have to help Sam Darnold before you help Le'Veon Bell. Like mm-hmm. that, you, you can move forward without a guy like Bell you can't move forward without a, without a solid quarterback. So I understand I'm trying to build a pass blocking first. Um, it's just it's disappointing they couldn't kind of kill two birds with one stone. I agree. Pass blocking was a higher priority, but it would have been nice if they would have gotten guys in here who were at least decent run blockers. It just looks like this is going to be very, very tough sledding for Le'Veon Bell in 2020, a repeat of 2019, right, Chris? I was just about to say, just copy and paste all my criticism about Adam Gase and the run game and, Le- and how he's using Le'Veon Bell from last year. Just everything I said, just copy and paste it because that's what I'll be doing all year long. Um, it'll be the same exact uh, criticisms. It is the same, all right, fine, don't even bother running him. Just line him out wide, send him out on routes, use him as a receiver. I'm just going to be repeating myself over and over again, which, you know, has basically been my entire life for the past decade with this team. They, they love to just constantly make the same mistakes over and over again, and that's going to be Adam Gase here. It's going to be the same thing. They have not upgraded um, the run game, blocking game at all. Um, and I see absolutely zero reason why I would think that it's going to play out any differently than it did last year. You just have to hope that the pass blocking improved enough and Darnold can improve enough and you get them some other receivers that the passing game um, can carry them a little bit more, but it's just, it's, it's, there's no reason to think that this uh, offense is going to be able to run the ball with any type of success next year. I just want to add one point. I, I think what could help, and no, they didn't make any like major improvements to the run blocking, but what will help un- undoubtedly is uh, the continuation of playing with each other. Like, if these guys can actually stay healthy and play 14, 15, 16 games with one another rather than going through 9, 10, 11 different lineups on the offensive line, that, that will help. That's just, um, that's just how it works in football. So, we just have to hope they stay healthy, even relatively healthy, just not to the point to where it was last year. 
keep our fingers crossed. But as of right now, four of the penciled-in starters on this offensive line have had injury concerns. The only one that hasn't was Connor McGovern. So we'll look for the bright side, but let's also hope that they're planning for the downside. Next question comes in from Abstract Analyst. He says, is there any way the Jets don't go offense on three of their first four picks in the draft? Also, in the scenario where the top three tackles are off the board, are there any second-round tackles worthwhile that will make me feel better about the Jets going wide receiver in round one? So let's start with the first part of this. Yes, I do think there's a scenario in which the Jets wouldn't go three of their first four picks on offense. That's if there's a corner and an edge rusher that Joe Douglas really likes. If that happens, let's say Jalen Johnson drops or somebody like Bradley and I, maybe guys like that could get picked in the top four picks that the Jets have. That said, I think there's a much stronger chance that they are going to use three of their first four picks at least on offense. Could be four of four, depending on how the board breaks. And then for the second part of this, there are some good offensive tackles that might get picked in round number two. And Michael Christopher hit on them before. Yang is one of them. Austin Jackson probably goes in the first round, but it's possible that maybe he goes early second. I don't think he would make it to the Jets pick. Ezra Cleveland, I'm starting to think that he's going to get picked before the Jets in the second round as well. Isaiah Wilson could be on the board, who is Andrew Thomas's teammate. We talked about him before. But here's the issue. You have no idea how the board is going to break. So even if we sit here and say that we think that one or two or three of them will be there at 48, That may not happen because once the top four guys are off the board, you may be looking at a run on tackles later. There could be teams at the end of the first round who don't want to miss out on a guy that they like, so they grab him in the first rather than trying to wait around in the second. And then there could be teams at the top of the second who missed out in the first round, so now they're going back and they're trying to get a tackle. So there are no guarantees. That's the big problem here. Even if you like some of the second-tier tackles that we're talking about, we have no idea for sure whether or not they're going to be there at 48 when the Jets pick. So Clayton, I think it would be a bit of a dangerous game to say pass on a tackle at number 11, hoping for a guy that you like to be there at 48 because that may not materialize. No, and honestly, for me, quite frankly, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of many offensive tackles in the second round. I, I do, however, like, let's see, I have seven tackles with a third round grade, whether it's early, mid, or late. So I, I think you might be able to get one of them later on, but I also could be a little lower on them than the rest of the NFL. I don't know. I don't have those connections. But I, I would just try to do everything in your power to get one of those four tackles. If, if you're afraid that if three of them are gone and uh, the Browns are on the clock, who knows, maybe, maybe you have to make that move up. Maybe you have to give up a third-round pick just to get one pick higher to get one of those tackles. I don't know. I, I think you just need to build that offensive line as, as best as you can because those guys are first-round picks for a reason. The other guys aren't as talented, and they don't have as much promise. Not to say they can't. Not to say they can't be better because that happens in the, in the NFL all the time. But these guys are first-round picks for a reason. And you think that there's a strong chance the Jets are going offense at least three of their first four picks, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a very strong chance of that. Uh, I think you kind of nailed it. Like it's possible they maybe they go to offense, to defense if an an eye and who knows maybe a Jeff Gladney falls because of his injuries. 
like, he, I just took the first name off my off the top of my head, but maybe they do go with something like that because, <laughs> truth be told, we still need an edge rusher and a cornerback on this roster. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to draft one of those, but I'd prefer to do everything you can to help this offense because this, this team runs through Sam Darnold. Chris, I'm pretty sure that if the Jets don't pick at least three offensive players in their first four picks, you may stand outside of Florham Park with a picket sign. Yeah, I've, I've been warning of this for a while. I will definitely be crushing them if they don't go with uh, at least three out of the four. Uh, I would probably, uh, depending on how the board falls, I would almost certainly go four out of four. Um, but uh, I'll three out of four, I'll allow two out of four, and I, w- I might have to fight somebody. Um, I I just don't see them taking an edge uh, just because of this class. I just don't see where it makes sense lining up. Uh, but it, it's po- it's possible. I would think the most likely scenario is that they take a cornerback. Um, you know, again, we can't predict how the board would fall, so may- maybe I'm wrong there, and there would be an edge that Joe Douglas really likes. But I think it's it's far more likely that you'd get a cornerback that he's comfortable taking in one of those first four picks. But I, I'd be shocked if there's not uh, definitely two offensive uh, pe- players taken, and I I would expect that three out of the first four are probably going to be offensive guys. Um, just because I, I do think Joe Douglas knows that he needs to get Sam Darnold help. And the idea of, you know, being willing to pass on an offensive tackle at 11 to try to get one at 48, like, isn't anyone who's ever played fantasy football, you know, if you're uh, picking like around the turns and, and, you know, first or second or ninth or 10th or something like that, and you, you're looking at your roster, you need a tight end. And you're sitting there saying, all right, do I start the run on tight ends by taking a guy right here and know that I get a good one? Or do I risk this run starting on me while uh, I have to wait for the next 20 picks for my pick and then I'm going to have to settle for my eighth highest tight end? Now, offensive line is way more important than tight end, even in fantasy, but uh, this is a much uh, bigger gap you have to wait on. And that run is guaranteed coming there will be a run between 11 and 48 on all those other tackles that you just mentioned there, there's not a question of it it's not well that run might happen uh, you know between the second and third round no that run is going to happen at the beginning of the draft and all the way through because team all teams need offensive linemen and this is a deep class for it so that run is happening you can't avoid it there's no question so if you, the priority is getting an offensive lineman, then you got to take him at 11. Otherwise, you're taking too big of a risk waiting till 48 for that guy. That's going to wrap up part one of the mailbag. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure that you're following Chris on Twitter, at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. Follow Clayton at CSMARS NFL Draft. Check out his work over at Coast to Coast Scouting. If you haven't given us a five-star review yet on iTunes, if you could go ahead and do that for us, greatly appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it really helps us out a lot. So if you could do that for us, we'd be quite appreciative. 
Don't forget to check out the Badlands series with Joe Caparoso and Connor Rogers. Last week they had C.J. Mosley on. This week it was Kyle Krabs dissecting the draft. And Connor revealed his seven-round Jets mock draft, which I think you'll really like. It's exclusive to the Badlands feed, so you got to subscribe. You can find the link at Jay Caparoso and at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter, or you can search for it on Podbean. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with part two of the mailbag tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget where to go for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts. There's only one place for that. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.